0: Sleuth Hounds, have you ever considered creating your own podcast? Have you been inspired by listening to some of your favorites and thought, I'd love to try this out on my own? Whether it's a true crime podcast like ours, a motivational podcast, or maybe one filled with tips and strategies for those interested in the same activities you are. When Maggie and I first decided to start our podcast, we knew absolutely nothing about what podcasting would entail. But when we found that the platform Buzzsprout was one for which we didn't need any special equipment, just a computer microphone, some quiet space, and each other, we knew that this was the way to go. It is intuitive to use, fun to play around with, and so helpful in getting analytical data about our number of downloads to track trends and from where listeners hail. Best yet, Buzzsprout is affordable, even by our teacher salary standards. Buzzsprout will get your podcast listed on every major podcasting platform. So what are you waiting for? Fulfill that dream of yours and start today. If you use our Coffee and Cases referral code 709-643, linked on Facebook and in our show notes, not only will you help support our show, but you will receive a $20 Amazon gift card after your second month on a paid plan. It's that easy. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Now it's time for the world to hear what you have to say. For each one of us, it's different. That thing that reminds us of the loved one now missing from our lives. For some, it's an item. For me, it is at least. Every time I go to bake something, I open the drawer and I see my grandma's rolling pin. It's the one we used when I would stay the night and she would bake homemade sugar cookies. It's the one I still use to roll out cookies with my daughter. For others, it's a card, a letter, a written message that has survived the person who wrote it. And it's often not just the message that's important. It's the curve of the letters, the slant to the words, the image it conjures up of the person we miss with all of our hearts, leaning low concentrating, and writing that very message on the page. It makes them alive again for us in that moment. That's the case for Kimberly Kane. When she was shown a yearbook in which her sister had written, the experience was overwhelming. This book was one her sister held. She tightly gripped a pen to write the message, perhaps smiling brightly as she did so. There was an image in Kimberly's mind behind it, and a happy image. It was likely powerful because it's the moments of joy that she wants her sister to stay in within her mind, and not the injustice that happened later. She wants to remember, and for others too as well, that her sister was a person who deserves justice. Whether that justice can be achieved all these years later is something that remains to be seen, but at the very least, Kimberly needs to know that the burden of memory and of sharing the story is not hers alone to bear. This is the story of Sabrina Kane. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams and my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be
1: telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast. And to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week.
0: Maggie, for this week's episode, as part of my preparation, I had the pleasure of speaking with Kimberly Kane. Sabrina's sister. That's awesome. Yes. And we love when we're able to speak with individuals who are family members or friends or have information about the cases that we cover. And with Kimberly, it was such a, just such a pleasure to speak to her and she was able to give me so many resources and pieces of information in order to more fully tell Sabrina's story, Mm -hmm. including a little bit of the backstory.
1: Oh, good. Because I feel like sometimes that part's missing for us, right? Like we know about what happened maybe like a couple days leading up to accidents or incidents, but we don't really know like who they were in the past. So that's good to know.
0: Yeah, because yeah, the newspaper articles, they cover the the details, the data, Mm -hmm. but they don't convey the person. Yeah. So I'm going to be relaying and relying on that information from Kimberly, as well as sheriff's reports and interviews for the information that I'm going to provide in this week's episode. Okay. So Kimberly and Sabrina have the same father, but different mothers, Kimberly's father had been married to Sabrina's mother, Lorraine, but when their marriage ended, it was their father who initially had custody of Sabrina. Okay. After the marriage, Lorraine had met and married a man named Fred Rourke, who was Sabrina's stepfather. And... Kimberly and Sabrina's father, well, Kimberly came later, but their father had begun a new relationship with Kimberly's mom. Okay. So both of them kind of began new relationships, right? Lorraine actually had called Sabrina's father and pleaded for custody of Sabrina, arguing with him that he could have more children, but she could not. And so basically, like, she wanted Sabrina there, Mm -hmm. and he had agreed. Oh, okay. So Sabrina went to live with Lorraine and her stepfather, Fred. Okay. 12 years after he saw Sabrina's birth, their father and his new wife had welcomed Kimberly.
1: Oh, so there's a 12-year difference between Sabrina and Kimberly.
0: Correct. And only three times did Kimberly visit with Sabrina. The last time Kimberly was only three and Sabrina was around 15. So her memories aren't as vivid, Mm -hmm. you know, because she was so young. She doesn't really remember seeing Sabrina, talking to her. And you could hear in Kimberly's voice the longing That, you know, that she could recall those moments in vivid detail. But instead, what Kimberly has in vivid detail are the news articles about Sabrina's death. And Sleuth Hounds and Maggie, this is a case that is going to be frustrating. Because you are going to feel in your gut that one particular person is responsible. But nothing can be done. Why? Well, I'll tell you Sabrina's story, and then I'll see if you feel the same way I do. Okay. Okay. In some ways, Sabrina Kane's life is like that of other teenagers from Belleville, Illinois in 1974. She loved hanging out with her friends like Debbie, Patty, and Jean. She had a boyfriend, Bob, and the 18-year-old held two jobs, one at the Midwest Savings and Loan and the other at the Kmart Grocery. Oh, so she's a busy teen. She is. But, you know, that sounds very typical of a teenager. Mm-hmm. She had a car that she loved driving around, and everyone recognized it when she drove it around town because it had this flowered vinyl top. Oh, very yeah. flowered child, Very 1970s. Very 70s, yeah. But every one of those seemingly typical teenage experiences came with a price, as you'll see in just a moment. So Sabrina didn't have a lot of close friends, but at no fault of her own, Maggie. So she would make plans with her friends, but then she would end up having to cancel because her stepfather wouldn't allow her to go. Hmm. Or she would have friends like Jean who came over, and this was according to police interviews with Jean, there was an accident. The report didn't say what the accident was, but Jean just said that there was an accident And she said that Fred had cursed her and then told Jean never to come back.
1: So, I'm just going to guess. Is Fred the person that we are going to maybe think had something to do with this, but we can't do anything about it? Correct. Okay.
0: One evening, and this is still in this interview with Jean she and Sabrina drove through this hamburger stand parking lot and Fred was so angry. I don't know if it was that they were together, that they drove through this like hop and joint, you know, or (laughs) what, but he was so angry when he found out that he grounded Sabrina. That's weird. It's like a a little extreme, but luckily some of Sabrina's friends like Debbie and Patty were the kind of friends who decided that, you know what, no matter how much they felt like Fred tried to drive them away, they weren't going anywhere. Good. But Fred also did not want Sabrina dating. An interview with Mr. Dave McKay, who was one of Sabrina's co-workers at the Midwest Savings and Loan, said that Sabrina had actually confided in some of her female coworkers, that Fred often picked her up just so she couldn't go out with boys and that once when Sabrina had on makeup Fred had been so angered that he smeared her makeup and quote threw her down and quote Okay,
1: this is not a typical relationship between a stepdaughter and a stepdad like
0: this is weird this is crossing the line on so many levels
1: and I also feel like you and Rodney are probably on the same page when it comes to like how like the rules that she has to follow Mm -hmm. right and I feel like he's dictating all these rules and he's not even her biological parent
0: right and in all of these scenarios where she's telling people about Fred's actions I didn't really see her mom Lorraine mentioned and so I don't know if if Lorraine isn't there during many of these events or if she's choosing not to get involved okay but either way it's not a good situation yeah and to the best of this mr mckay's recollection this information had been told to co-workers sometime in december of 1973 or january of 1974 and a lot of her friends had actually mentioned that they saw, including her boyfriend Bob, like a change in her demeanor mm-hmm. sometime around Christmas. And obviously, mm-hmm. if she said he, quote, threw her down, then it's physical.
1: So, had that incident been reported to police? Like, did her coworkers go to police or like child protective
0: services? No, but you'll see why here in just a moment. Okay. So before I kind of get into any more Maggie and Sleuth Hounds, I wanted to let you know that this case is kind of hard for me to tell because many of the interviews involved in it take place over various times over the course of mm-hmm. about 10 months. Oh. And so I'm trying to convey the details in chronological order so it's easier for you to follow. But this interview actually occurs about almost a year after the initial important date that I'm going to mention that happened in February of 1974.
1: Okay, so we're getting them in chronological order, but really, you did not get them in chronological order. No, I did
0: not. Okay. (laughs) It was very hard to like like I literally had timelines drawn out and I'm like inserting data so I could tell it in chronological order. Okay. So police interviewed a woman by the name of Laurel Gonstell Young and in this interview even though this interview didn't happen until December of 1974 she actually verified that in December of 1973 Sabrina had confided in her that Fred was, quote, beating her and roughing her up, end quote.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, and she told Laurel that Fred kind of did this because he was afraid that Sabrina was going to move out and, quote, live with some man, end quote.
1: Okay, this makes it seem like he's obsessed with her On the level that your stepfather should not be obsessed with
0: you. And much of what I'm going to tell you is going to give you that same impression. Oh, awesome. So every report that I read, literally every report I read, mentioned how Sabrina told all of these different people in her life, or they saw with their own eyes how controlling Fred was. Right? Mm -hmm. But Sabrina's mother, Sabrina's mother, Lorraine, told a completely different story.
1: Did Sabrina ever tell her dad?
0: No. And I'll get to that later on, too. Okay. But Sabrina's mother, Lorraine, only spoke of this loving stepfather who would do anything to make Sabrina happy, including buying her a car. Right. That car with the floral Mm -hmm. vinyl top on it. Fred had bought Sabrina that car, but just like everything else, it came with a price because that car was often leverage for Fred to punish Sabrina if he felt that she had like disobeyed. And so very often he would take away the car privilege which I get normally, right? Parents Mm -hmm. will be like, okay, you're grounded from your phone or you're grounded from your car or whatever. But I get the sense that what she would be punished for would be like hanging out with a friend. (laughs) Driving through a parking lot. Right, driving through the parking lot of a hamburger place. And that punishment happened quite often as even... Fred's friends and coworkers. And you asked a moment ago if anybody reported it to police or anything like that. And they did not because Fred was actually a Belleville police officer. Oh, okay. Yep. So there's the complication. Yeah. But even his friends and coworkers, so fellow officers Referred to Fred in interviews as a, quote, hot head and having a, quote, hot temper, end quote.
1: Okay, so even they know that he's kind
0: of cuckoo. Yeah, that he can, like, blow a gasket over. Yeah,
1: flip a switch.
0: Things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said at the beginning that everything came with a price. And it was Sabrina who bore the brunt of that temper quite often. In early February 1974, Sabrina was, again, not in Fred's good graces, as he had taken her car away from her, and she was having to rely on friends to get to work or to go anywhere.
1: And this is the girl that has two jobs?
0: Yes, this is the girl who has two jobs that he has taken a car away from. Yes. Okay. So Sabrina was, again, telling her friends of this toxic relationship at home. And on February 2nd, Bob, remember that Sabrina's boyfriend told police that he couldn't remember if he spoke with Sabrina that day, but that he probably did. But Fred and Lorraine reported that Sabrina didn't stay at home that night. So she's kind of they're basically making it sound like she was at the point where she just needed, you know, a night away to cool off. She obviously didn't stay at Bob's because he can't even remember if he spoke with her but according to them she stayed somewhere else not at home
1: that sounds fishy to me Mm -hmm. for the very reasons we just said like he's so controlling she can't go through the parking lot of a hamburger joint he smears her makeup if she has it on he doesn't want her to date anyone but she's just gonna not stay at home and they don't know where she's at right that seems uncharacteristic
0: yeah The next day, on February 3rd, Sabrina's boyfriend, Bob, called Sabrina around 6 p.m., and Fred answered. Hmm. Fred wouldn't even let Bob speak with Sabrina.
1: Do we know if Sabrina was actually home?
0: I'm going to assume so, because Bob actually received a call from Sabrina around 7 letting him know that she had walked to the plaza bowl, like a bowling alley and telling Bob that he could pick her up from there. Oh, so I'm guessing like she knew that he called, she knew that Fred wouldn't let him speak to her. So she's like, I've got to walk because you know, she's not allowed to use her car right now, Mm -hmm. walk to town and then call Bob from there. Okay. And when Bob got there around seven 30, He later reported to police that Sabrina was, quote, terrified, and that she had cried to him, quote, let's get out of Belleville, end quote.
1: And these are the police that work with her dad. It's not like state police, but like their local city police? Right. Okay.
0: And Bob said that she told him that Fred had thrown her against the wall, rubbed off her makeup with his thumbs and that sounds a lot like the incident that Laurel reported having happened the December before. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if Laurel misremembered when Sabrina had told her about the incident or if this was like it happening another time. Okay. Bob did attempt to take Sabrina out of town at least for the time being like for a Mm -hmm. few hours. So They tried to go visit a friend's house in O'Fallon, Illinois, but the friend wasn't home. And Sabrina's like, I really don't want to go back to the house yet. So she asked Bob if they could drive by her grandfather's farm. So she actually, in most everything, referred to Fred as dad. Okay. And I don't know if that's something like she chose to do or if he kind of said, this is what you're going to call me. Yeah. But when she was talking about her grandfather's farm, it was actually Fred's dad' his farm. Okay, but she wanted to drive by there to see if her horse were still there. So Fred had bought Sabrina a horse, but he had recently threatened to sell it. I mean, I'm getting anxiety just
1: listening to this. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like she always has to be on edge, and like always, just never can breathe. Yeah.
0: So, once Sabrina saw that the horse was still there, the two of them went to Bob's brother's house until about 10 p.m., and then they actually went back to O'Fallon, Illinois, to that friend who lived out of town that they were going to go visit, and they Mm -hmm. stayed there until around 11. Now, it was getting late, though, and Sabrina knew she was going to have to head home. So, Sabrina actually called her mom, Lorraine, who suggested that Sabrina have Bob Drop her off with this couple who Sabrina was friends with, Patty and Kurt Linton, and to allow the Lintons to drive her home so that Fred wouldn't be mad.
1: What the heck? Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like this whole town knows that her stepdad is not the nicest to her, and we're just like Mm -hmm. letting it happen. So the mom's like, Just go to this friend's house and they'll drive you home. So your dad won't be mad. And they get, she gets to the friend's house. What she say, like, can you drive me home? So my dad doesn't go crazy on me. And they just do it without. I mean, basically it's weird.
0: The friends know how he is, you know, I'm frustrated already. I know. According to Lorraine, also in that phone call, she had actually assured Sabrina That she would help her find a suitable apartment and that she would help her pack her clothing the next day. So that makes it sound like to me, Lorraine knew how toxic the situation was at home and Mm -hmm. that kind of like the best she was going to offer was to help Sabrina move out. So Sabrina did call the Lentons to have them meet Bob, which they did and when later asked about sabrina's mood that night on the 3rd the lintons said that she was angry at fred for his controlling behavior and that sabrina vowed that no matter what she was going to move out
1: good for her
0: yeah so she's like fed up she's had it the lintons reported bringing sabrina home but what's weird is in interviews Lorraine and Fred insist that Sabrina didn't stay there the night of the 3rd.
1: So I wonder if it's like her mom knows that Fred is mad and like it's in her best interest not to stay there, you know. Mhm. Or like I'm I don't know what the mom's doing.
0: I don't know either, but like from everything I read Fred actually worked the night shift. And so but what's confusing about that is then I don't know why her mom would be like unless townspeople talked like I don't know why her mom would be like have somebody else bring you home because from my understanding Fred wouldn't have even been there because he normally wouldn't get home till like 630 in the morning.
1: And how would he know that she stayed the
0: night? Right. But then Mm -hmm. and Lorraine usually left for work super early. So maybe she didn't know like if. You know, Sabrina got home after Lorraine had gone to bed. Maybe she didn't realize she came home. But I don't know. It's all very confusing. But they said she didn't come home that night. Okay. Around 5.30 p.m. on February 4th, so the next day, Laurel called Bob to let him know that Sabrina was at work at Kmart And she was upset. So basically, Bob, you need to come and and talk to your girlfriend. So Bob drove over to Kmart to visit Sabrina and found her in tears. So again, like she's wanting to move out. Things are escalating. Bad situation. She's like, I'm moving out at all costs. That was on the fourth. Or sorry, that was on the third. And then now we're at the fourth. And it's in the afternoon and Sabrina is in tears again.
1: Do we know why?
0: I think it's more of the same thing, like just okay. the toxicity of that environment. So Bob promised Sabrina that that night that if she wanted to leave, he would help her. I like and, Bob. Yeah. And other coworkers, Susan Koenig and Donna Kolb. Noted similar actions from sabrina. both of both of them had worked with Sabrina that night on February fourth from five until ten p m. Okay. So they kind of told the same stories that I'm getting ready to share with you. So Susan said that around nine fifty five, so like five minutes before where they were supposed to clock out, Sabrina asked if she could cash out her drawer first. She told Susan that she wanted to get home quickly. And move some of her clothing before her mom and dad got home. So now it makes it sound like she's wanting to do things when Lorraine is gone also. Mm -hmm. At 10.10, Sabrina clocked out and got a ride home from Donna Kolb. Because remember, again, she doesn't have her car. She has no car. Right. So Donna told nearly the exact same account as Susan, plus one small additional detail. Okay. Donna added that before she drove Sabrina home, Sabrina had called her mom, Lorraine. So for her, it's not so much she wants to get it done while both parents are home, because they'll, you know, why would she have called her mom? Mm -hmm. But that she called her mom. And while Donna didn't hear the conversation in an interview, Donna stated that Sabrina began crying. And then she confessed to Donna that she was having trouble at home and that she was, quote, going to leave home, end quote. So she's telling everybody.
1: So I wonder if maybe she called her mom and was like, I'm packing my stuff. This is it. I'm moving.
0: I mean, she could have because Donna didn't hear the conversation. But even though Bob had promised to help her, he never got the chance because the last time anyone saw Sabrina— was on february 5th 1974 so that very next day and maggie sabrina was just gone according to an article in the belleville news democrat from july 11th 2018 sabrina wasn't officially reported missing until march 22nd that's a really long time I agree. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why, especially once you hear about how many people she spoke with on the 5th that no one reported her missing before then. Especially Lorraine. I mean, that's her mom. Fred, who is a cop, let me remind you, or her boyfriend, Bob. Yeah,
1: like, had she ever gone a month without talking to anyone?
0: Like, a so, che- has she done this before? She hadn't ever, like, up and left. Like, vanished. Mm-hmm. Be- you know what I mean? Like,
1: Ran away. people,
0: a- basically, again, yeah. in modern terms. <laughs> but her friends, the Lentons, Patty and Kurt, they did remember that there was, like, remember how I said Sabrina would make plans with friends, but then, like, Fred would kind of take over and then she wasn't allowed to go do something Mm -hmm. and so according to patty and kurt like they remembered there was a pattern of you know them being in pretty much continual contact with sabrina and then not hearing from her for a couple of months
1: oh so maybe they just thought she was kind of like on house arrest
0: i mean i'm assuming so that's that's the only thing that i can think is that yeah they just assumed this was like any other time And that they would hear from Sabrina eventually. Or, I mean, maybe they were thinking that Sabrina had just left. because Yeah, like she she followed through on what she said. Yeah. Right. So, to give the benefit of the doubt to Bob, maybe he too thought Sabrina was going to leave. Because she had mentioned that she wanted to get out of Belleville. So, like, maybe he thought she had and was laying low for a bit.
1: Yeah, but, like... I feel like if she was actually going to leave, she would have told him, like, she's begging him to take her away from this town. So why would she leave and leave him behind?
0: I agree. Because, like, this nagging voice in the back of my mind, as much as I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, I don't know. I I think you're right. Like, I would think he would have had to have been concerned because like you said, surely Sabrina wouldn't have left him behind because she trusted him. Obviously she told him that she wanted to leave. So unless I'm like reading more seriousness into their relationship than there was, I don't understand him not, unless he was like, you know what? Sabrina's dad, stepdad is a cop. So if she's in real danger, he would surely report it.
1: Yeah, but I mean, he knows how how her it is. yeah. Yeah, and like I'm thinking, like if you or I, when we were dating our now husbands, like even in the early stages of mine and Anthony's relationship, if I went several days without, heck, if I went a day without talking to him, he probably would have been concerned.
0: Right, and I actually asked Kimberly if she had spoken with Bob. And she said that they had tried to reach out to him multiple times, but he never responded to any of their correspondence. That's shady. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know if it's still too painful or if he knows something. I mean, I don't know. Hmm. But so she gets reported missing on March 22nd, which again is a far cry from February 5th, which is the last time that anyone has seen her.
1: Mm -hmm. But then
0: nothing until April 20th. 1974. So, so almost again, another month, month. Yeah, almost a month after having been reported missing, and about 10 weeks after the last sighting of Sabrina, two men, James Werner and Cletus Ramsey, were target shooting by Forney Lake in Stookie Township when they spotted something in the lake. Oh, wow. An officer, Deputy Holling, lived nearby. So the two men went straight there to report what they had seen. And it was then that they retrieved the body of a Caucasian female from the water. The body later identified as Sabrina Kane. Now, before I tell you about how Sabrina was found and identified, I want to go back a moment to Sabrina's last day that she was seen. And again, the timeline I'm going to give you for February 5th This was probably the most complicated one because I had to piece together details from police interviews with Lorraine, interviews with Fred, interviews with Bob, interviews with Patty, interviews with Kurt, interviews with coworkers from the bank, like interviews with all these different people. Okay. So I do want you to keep in mind when I'm giving you the details that we kind of have to take them with a grain of salt because... The only way that all of these can be taken as fact is, number one, if everyone involved is telling the truth. Which and is probably not likely. Right. And number two, if their memories are flawless about February 5th. Also not likely, but okay. As, right. Also not likely, especially when many of these details were conveyed to law enforcement only after Sabrina's body was recovered from Forney Lake in April. So at the earliest, we're talking from February 5th to late April. And some of these recollections were given as late as December of 1974. So almost a year later. Wow. So here's what I could piece together. Lorraine had checked into work and this is according to her punch card. At 5.45 a.m. So she got to work early. Mm -hmm. And Fred got off work around 6.30 a.m. He went home where Sabrina was asleep. Fred reported that he wanted to talk to Sabrina because he knew she wanted to leave and he wanted to talk her out of it. So both Lorraine and Fred said that Sabrina was awake by 8 a.m. Because Lorraine said she called her at 8 a.m. Like, Sabrina had called Lorraine at work. According to Fred, the next phone call that Sabrina made was to Midwest Savings and Loan calling in sick for the day. But an interview on April 24th with Mrs. Bunch, who was the telephone operator at Midwest Savings and Loan, she recalled it being a male voice calling in to say that Sabrina was sick and would not be coming in. Fishy. Mhm. Lorraine noted that Sabrina called her again at 9 to say that she was actually going to go see Patty Linton at the bank where Patty worked. In the meantime, Fred stated that he gave Sabrina advice on how to pick a good apartment before Sabrina left around 9:30 to 9:45 a.m. Now I'm going to pause here. Because this kind of, like, open and helpful conversation that Fred said happened is not what I would expect.
1: Yeah. Like, I feel like it should be like, Fred stated that he gave Sabrina advice. Like, air quotes. Because he probably really didn't.
0: There's our air quotes for the episode. (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, literally everyone knew that Sabrina wanted to leave because of her relationship with Fred.
1: Yeah, and I don't think he's going to be like, okay, now be yeah. sure to stay away from this neighborhood and be sure this is included in your apartment. Like, I just don't see that yeah. conversation happening.
0: Yeah, and with how controlling he seemed, it, I guess this decision from Sabrina for her own independence does not seem one that Fred would support. No. Yeah, so she had been wanting to get her things when Fred wasn't even there. So, I mean, it doesn't make sense that then he's like, well, let me give you some good advice for when you move out, Mm -hmm. which seems very helpful. So, yeah, I just find that a bit too pleasant from the way he's describing it. Patty Linton, Sabrina's friend, said that around 930 that morning, Sabrina walked into the bank where she worked, thinking like Sabrina must have walked the mile from her home to the bank because, again, no car. Once there Sabrina asked if Patty would mind if she stayed with her and her husband Kurt until she found an apartment and Patty agreed. Right so Sabrina's like I've even though I, I don't gotta have go. a place to stay yeah I have to get out. So Sabrina said that she since Patty agreed she was going to move some of her clothes over to the Lintons' house. Okay. And then Sabrina actually asked if Patty would mind if she called Kurt to drive her to go see her boyfriend Bob. Okay. Patty again said that's fine, but she was like, I can't let you use the bank phone because I'm at work. So Sabrina crossed the street to the Plaza Shopping Center to make the phone call. Okay, so all's good right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Around 10 or 10.15, Kurt Linton, who was Patty's husband, said he received a phone call from Sabrina. So just like she had told Patty what she was going to do. But I Sabrina like said,
1: timeline kind of makes sense right like yeah so from 30 you're talking to you're talking to your friend you walk across the street it's probably 10 like it just makes
0: sense it does and again this is what none of this was as clear as I'm making it sound because (laughs) I was reading it like 50 different pages and trying to piece it together but Sabrina was at the national food store so he picks her up and she says hey can you take me to Kmart to see Bob and Bob also reported that it was shortly after 10 a.m. that Sabrina came to Kmart and she told Bob that Fred had woken her up to talk about the problems that they had been having. So none of this friendly, let me help you find a good Mm -hmm. apartment and give you advice. And Sabrina told Bob that she could not live with Fred anymore, but that her mom, Lorraine, was supposed to help her get her clothes out. Because Sabrina doesn't have a car. Right, because for a ticket. Correct. Bob actually offered for Sabrina to use his car and helping her mm-hmm. get her clothes out and everything. And Sabrina said that she might actually borrow it later that day, that she would call him around 6 that evening. But it, that was a call that never came. Sabrina oh. did make some phone calls in the meantime. So Kurt said that once they returned to his home after visiting Bob, so they got back to the Lintons' home around 11, that Sabrina actually called about several of the apartments that she was looking into, and then she called her mom again. And Lorraine actually corroborated that story by saying that Sabrina had called her again around 11 to say that she was going to be looking for apartments. Oh,
1: okay. So, again, the timeline did to match right now.
0: Yes. Sabrina actually told Kurt, after she got off the phone, that when her mom, Lorraine, got off work, that she had agreed to help Sabrina move her clothes to the Lentons. So, I guess Sabrina would no longer need. Yeah, he, she wouldn't need Bob's
1: car because
0: her right. mom is going to help her, right? Right. So, Patty. Kurt's wife Sabrina's friend the one who she went to see at the bank came home for lunch around 11:40 and she had lunch with Sabrina and with Kurt before she returned to work around noon and it was around noon that two things happened number 1 kurt had been messing with the record player at their home and realized that it needed a new needle so he actually left for the Plaza shopping center to get one. And number 2, Fred called Patty at the bank asking about Sabrina. And I would both, just boldface lied to him. I would be like, I don't know, bye. And unfortunately, Patty didn't. So both Patty and Fred report that Patty had suggested that if Fred wanted to speak with Sabrina, then he could go and see her at patty's home. But, okay, but I mean, she has alone. no idea that Sabrina's alone. Oh, okay. Right, cuz Kurt was there. Right. So Patty doesn't know that Kurt left. When Kurt was returning from Radio Shack, where he got his, you know, needle for the record player, around 12:30, he was at the intersection of the shopping plaza. And he saw Sabrina's car pass by because remember, he would know. Yeah, super recognizable. And he saw Sabrina's long blonde hair. And so he recognized it was her in the passenger seat, but he couldn't really see who was driving.
1: So, who okay, Fred?
0: Well, in his head, he's thinking, I mean, it could be Fred, it could be Lorraine, because remember, Sabrina had said that Lorraine was going to help move clothes. Yeah. Right. As soon as she got off work. But Sabrina had left a note, Patty later recalled, at their home that stated something like, quote, went home to talk to my dad. We'll call you later. End quote.
1: But I mean, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because he had just talked to her and said he was she had suggested he go to
0: her house to talk to Sabrina. Right. So why couldn't they talk? at the Lintons' house. Yeah. Unless he just has that much control. And here's the other thing, like either he or Lorraine had to have picked Sabrina up, like it couldn't be anyone other than the two of them because they're in Sabrina's car and Sabrina's grounded from her car. Yeah. At this point. Well, interestingly, Kurt said that Sabrina's vehicle when he spotted it was headed west which would have been away from the Roark residence. So the opposite direction of her home. Right. And in contrast, Fred said that he brought Sabrina home and tried to talk to her, just like the note said. And that he was going to talk to her again about the problems that they had been having. And he said that Sabrina sat on the arm of the chair, like didn't take her coat off, and that around one thirty, she got angry about something and left the home walking on foot.
1: So then did he perhaps
0: follow her or the mom So maybe saw her and picked her up? No, neither one of those things. He did not follow her. And I'm glad you brought up that second part because that's a sticking point for me. Because Lorraine said in an interview, that she returned home from work around 15, which that would have been 15 minutes before Sabrina left, which means both Sabrina and Fred would have been home. But she said that when she got home, Sabrina was gone already.
1: Okay, well, I can give Fred the 15 minutes.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, maybe his, he's a little confused. I'll give him the 15 minutes. Okay. So then the police report notes that they told Lorraine that Fred had been seen around one thirty, which, first of all, I didn't read anywhere where Fred had been seen around 1.30. Yeah, 30. where had he been 130? seen? Yeah, when, when he had been at home? Yeah. So I, I don't know how he would have been seen at home for Sabrina to leave at the same time. So I don't really understand that. But when Lorraine was told that Fred had been seen around one thirty. Then she changed her story to say, oh, maybe I got home around 1.45 or maybe even 2. So I wonder if she was kind of scared of Fred. I don't know. And I also don't get what you said just a second ago. If Sabrina had left anywhere between 1.15 and one thirty, I don't know how Lorraine wouldn't have passed Sabrina on the road. Because, I mean, remember, this is a time before the age of cell phones. So it's not like Sabrina mm-hmm. could have snuck and called someone to come get her or meet her somewhere. Like she would have had to have walked somewhere to use a phone. And to use a public telephone, you have to go to a public place. So really, right. she can only walk to town. Right. And then her mom would have passed her. Right. So when she got home and she said Fred told her that Sabrina had gotten angry and left around 1.30, Lorraine said that she immediately went out driving for close to two hours looking for Sabrina. Fred did not go with her. Now, Maggie, let me ask you this. If you were Lorraine, where Mm -hmm. would you have gone to first looking for Sabrina? I mean, other than the police station to report Sabrina missing, which she did not do.
1: Where would you have gone first? Like immediately, obviously, the police station. But then I would have, there would have been two places. One, to the Lintons' home, because yep. she was supposed to be staying there.
0: Precisely.
1: Or, I would have found Bob to see if he had spoken with Sabrina and knew where she was at.
0: Those are the exact two places I would have gone, but Lorraine <laughs> didn't.
1: Well, where the heck did she go?
0: Yeah, the report didn't know where she went to look, but I do know that Patty hadn't heard anything from Sabrina or from Lorraine, because it was Patty herself who called Lorraine on the 5th, sometime between 4 and 6 that evening. And that was when she heard from Lorraine that Sabrina had left angry around 1.30 and hadn't been seen. And then at close to 7.30 that evening, Bob reported in an interview that it was Patty who called him to see if he had seen or heard from Sabrina. And he said that he hadn't. So Lorraine didn't contact either one of them, which is odd to me. Other than the police, one person who was noticeably also not contacted,
1: okay, is Sabrina's biological father?
0: Yeah. So one would think that if Sabrina had planned on leaving town, she might think about maybe going to the small town of Arcola, Illinois, where literally the entire side of her father's family lived, but no one called. In fact, Sabrina's father didn't even hear anything about Sabrina until a family member, not even Lorraine, called him when Sabrina's body was found. So,
1: do we know how? Far away like Sabrina's father's town was versus the town where she lived with her mom. Because I feel like if they're close to each other, like, and I'm wanting to leave my stepfather's house, that that's the first place I would go. Like, that just makes the most sense. If they're close enough that it would make sense. Like, if it's hours away, then no. But, you know. They're about two hours away okay so then that makes sense that that maybe isn't the first place that she went when she wanted to be away
0: right and I mean again she doesn't have a car right so how would she get there right but you would think that they would have been contacted yeah I feel like if like hey maybe she's gonna hitch a ride or maybe she's gonna get a friend to drive her there
1: and I also feel like If Anthony and I had children and we were no longer together and one of our kids went missing, like, he would be one of the first people that I call. Like, hey, blah, blah, blah is missing. Like, we need to do something.
0: Common courtesy. Yeah. Yeah. So one would think all of those things. But there were some shady stuff going on. So Mm -hmm. let me tell you a little bit about Sabrina's body and the identification. So after pictures were taken of the body that was removed from Forney Lake, she was taken to a funeral home to look for identifying information. Because remember, at this point, they've just found a body. Right. She had four, four rings on her hands, and one of them was a class ring with the initials SJC. So soon, the officers were able to make the connection between that missing persons report that was filed March 22nd of a female with this description matching the body, the stepdaughter of Belleville policeman Fred Rourke. Around 4.10 p.m. on April 20th, Fred was brought in to identify the items, and he positively identified the class ring and cried. Like as in
1: he shed a tear, or as in like
0: he was hysterically crying. It didn't clarify that, but it did say he cried when he identified the rings. Mm. Fred told law enforcement that in the weeks after Sabrina was reported missing, that he had driven everywhere he could think of looking for Sabrina. Even quote, as far as Tuscola, Illinois, her hometown, end quote. Okay, well first of all, yeah. Her family he didn't live is there. From, yeah. It she's from Arcola, not Tuscola. And second, you mean to tell me that he drove there but never spoke with a single member of her family while there? Yeah, like I'm gonna look
1: for you in the town in which your father's family resides, but I'm not gonna talk to any of them
0: while I'm there. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Bob, Sabrina's boyfriend, did tell the police that a couple of weeks after Sabrina was reported missing, that Fred did ask Bob to ride around with him looking for Sabrina, which alone seems super odd to me. Because remember, he didn't want Sabrina dating. Right. But, But Bob did note in this interview that Fred, quote, didn't seem interested in finding Sabrina, end quote.
1: What it sounds like to me is Fred is interested in playing the part of a stepfather looking for his child.
0: It could be. And what is most disturbing are the other details about Sabrina's identification. So Fred identified the ring, right? I told you that. Mm-hmm. He also identified all of Sabrina's clothing, including Sabrina's underwear. Excuse me? Yeah. And he even made the statement that it hadn't, this is his quote, quote, it hadn't been long since she purchased the panties, end quote.
1: Okay, first of all, like my husband, whom I'm in an intimate relationship with, would not know if I had on panties I purchased a day ago or panties that I purchased a year ago.
0: Yep, mine wouldn't either. That's just super super weird. Super sketchy. Yeah, that her stepfather knows this. Then Fred wanted to see Sabrina's body. The officer noted that Fred's reaction was quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. But this officer who went in there with Fred also noted that Fred made this comment that Sabrina quote didn't have a face because right the i mean the body was so decomposed which tells me that it had been in the lake for quite some time yeah during the interview investigator jackson said that he asked fred if there was any reason he could think of why anyone would want to harm sabrina and fred somehow misconstrued the question and responded quote you think she was pregnant end quote. Oh. If you can like see my face right now. From. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that then accord and this is in the police report that Fred started crying and said, quote, she was all I had. End quote. Um no, you're married to her mom. Yes. That statement is so weird to me. Because yeah, that's like the statement you would make about your spouse, not about your I mean, I get, obviously, your child be, being your world, but he still has Lorraine.
1: Well, I feel like she's all I had
0: is an intimate statement. hmm mm-hmm. I agree. And then you couple that with that comment about her being pregnant. Could she have been pregnant? That comes out of nowhere. Yeah. So... Partly because of actions and comments like those. Partly because Fred was so controlling of Sabrina. Especially when it came to boys. And partly because of the way that he would act around Sabrina. Nearly every single person interviewed commented on the strangeness of their relationship. And Lorraine and Fred were actually asked about it by police. About that kind of seeming intimacy.
1: Do we ever know if any... If any of that was... Do we ever know if what we're all thinking in our head right now actually happened to Sabrina?
0: There's no... Verifiable... Concrete evidence. Okay. But I think you're right. That everyone is assuming... That there's either... There's an inappropriate relationship, like Mm -hmm. molestation or something like that. Yeah. But when Lorraine was asked how Fred would feel about Sabrina leaving, so they're asking her some hard questions, right? That she said, quote, he might not like it, but if it would make Sabrina happy, he would help. Fred was always doing things to make Sabrina happy, end quote. Because crying
1: for your safety is a sure sign that you're happy. Uh, Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah, Lorraine, like, conveniently leaves out everything that Fred did to hurt Sabrina or cause this rift in the household relationship. But Lorraine denied anything beyond a parent-child relationship between Sabrina and Fred, which, of course, she will. Yeah. And then Fred was asked questions about it. And first, if he loved her so much and she was, quote, all he had... They said, Why didn't you ride around with Lorraine looking for Sabrina? And he Um, was like, He didn't have an answer, I'm assuming. Yeah. Didn't have an answer. He denied having a sexual relationship with Sabrina. But what's interesting to me was the little detail that they mentioned in the report that Fred didn't seem upset by them asking if he had a sexual relationship. So, okay, I'll admit to you calmness considering an accusation like that seems odd yeah because
1: he's described as like what was he just it was like hot Hot
0: yeah hot tempered yeah yeah so under normal circumstances a hot tempered guy isn't going to remain calm so the fact that they're saying he remained calm with an accusation like that does not seem normal to me. Mm-hmm. Then they started asking Fred about a firearm that he owned, a 38 caliber llama. So when the coroner completed Sabrina's autopsy, pathologist Dr. McQueen removed three slugs from her body. Sabrina had been shot from top to bottom in her arm. She'd been shot in the chest, and she had been shot in the back of the head. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, all of the... So, and this before she was thrown into Forney Lake. All of the shots had come from a thirty-eight caliber Spanish, French, or German automatic. That's what they ruled. And Fred Roark owned a gun fitting that description. Then... Her body had been tied with what was believed to be ski rope to a concrete block weighing about 50 pounds before being thrown into Forney Lake. So Fred said that he does have a gun like that. He says, I don't have it on me, but we can go to my home and you can get it. When they asked him about the rope, because Fred owned a boat and he would often take Sabrina water skiing on it, he says, you can search my boat, you can search my home, anything. So the police get to the rower home, but the thirty-eight caliber gun is not on the dresser like Fred said it would be. So f- then Fred is like, oh, you know, I'm renovating a house. Maybe I left it in the house I'm helping to renovate. So the police drive him to that address, Maggie, where he also couldn't find the gun.
1: Okay, but... I use
0: air quotes, couldn't find the gun.
1: But if we're going to, you know, maybe play devil's advocate or give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe Sabrina's killer stole it.
0: Well, and it was at that house that he was helping renovate that Fred actually suggested that maybe someone did steal the gun. But police look around and they actually noted in the report, quote, there was a gold watch and numerous electrical tools and hand tools. But the gun was the only thing missing from this house, end quote. Hmm. So they're basically like, why would somebody come here and just steal a gun when there are all of these other valuables still lying around?
1: Unless they're looking just specifically
0: to murder someone. Right. But then why would they have put it in the house where Fred was renovating? That's true. So finally, Fred suggested, you know what? Maybe I dropped it. Air quotes again. Yeah. Yeah. When Jack Erlanger, who was a neighbor and friend of Fred's, and I went to Forney Lake to help search after Sabrina's body had been discovered. And yes, Maggie, you heard that right. The police had let Fred and his neighbor help search the area around Forney Lake looking for clues about Sabrina. Just the two of them.
1: So basically, we could have a scene that is completely tampered with.
0: Yeah. 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 So that's something even more sketchy, right? That detail about the search. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you something even more sketchy about it. So in an interview with Jack Erlinger, remember that's the neighbor and friend, he actually said that it was his idea to go aid in the search around 3 p.m. on April 20th. He said that Fred had come over to ask Jack for a sedative for Lorraine because she was so upset because remember they had found out, you know, that Sabrina's body had been found.
1: It's a weird request, ask your friend. Hey, right. can I borrowed yes, some sedative
0: is. Yeah, for my wife, yeah. And that around 3 30, Jack had gone over to Fred and suggested that they, according to, to this report, quote, go out to the lake site, end quote. Jack then told police that he stated to Fred, quote, "Let's go look at the trestle, because the lake where Sabrina's body was found was near some railway tracks, and so that he said to go search near the trestle, quote, to see if we can find anything." End quote. So, Jack said that was his idea. He said that to Fred, "Let's go look near the trestle, right?" Mm-hmm. But yeah. investigator Jackson. In another report, noted that Fred and Jack arrived around 5:45 in the afternoon, and that it was Fred who asked the officer, quote, if anyone had searched the area of the trestle on the same road, approximately one half mile west of the lake, quote, for the victim's purse. What? End quote. Yeah, that is awfully specific. Yeah, you're going to
1: specify her purse, not like... Yeah. That's okay.
0: Yeah. That's like, have you searched near parking spot 712 for Maggie's orange pen? Yeah. Like, it's, it's way too specific, right? So they were allowed to search, which obviously is a big problem. And I don't know if you remember, one of our early, early, early cases that we did was a police officer's son, Gary Mm -hmm. Grant Jr. And as much as that officer wanted to be part of the investigation, that is a huge no-no. Yep. But Officer Jackson reported that Fred and Jack came back around 7.15 to say that they hadn't found anything. Probably because if they did, they disposed of it. I mean, they were gone for like an hour and a half. And let me also say, when I say Forney Lake, it's not like Cumberland Lake or something huge. I mean, Kimberly showed me a picture of it, and it's really more like a large pond. Oh, So to be gone an hour and a half is quite some time. Later, officers took Fred when they were looking for his gun, right? Because he's like, maybe I dropped it near the lake when I was looking you know, for evidence about Sabrina. So they take him to the lake and they ask him to show the path that he took. They, as you can probably guess, did not find the gun. Police later took Jack Erlanger to that same site and they say, show us the path that you and Fred took.
1: Please right? so they're like tell trying me, to
0: verify. is it different paths? Kind of so jack said that fred had never been out of his sight and at first the path that jack showed them was the same there was but then there was like a slight variation later and jack erlinger was actually questioned they were like why did fred show us a different path like why did why did fred say he went over here and jack erlinger replied quote maybe he did And I don't know if you caught the pronoun there, Maggie, but he didn't say we, Mm -hmm. he said he. So I thought they were never separated. Exactly. And besides that, last time I checked, you can't look down and up at the same time. Like meaning he couldn't have been looking down and searching for clues at the same time that he could be continually looking up and watching every moment to see what Fred was doing. Hmm. So could Fred have hidden something or picked something up? A 16-year-old on April 26th found more evidence. A lady's shoe near a drain pipe by the lake. And Fred was actually asked to identify the shoe. But he said, I'm going to have to ask Lorraine to be sure. But But you can identify her panties. Yes. Yes. I was thinking, hold up. So, you know Sabrina's underwear by seeing it, but you don't recognize her shoes? I mean,
1: I feel like Anthony could recognize my shoes.
0: That's a common thing. Your panties, not so much. (laughs) Right. Then Fred said that he wasn't going to say anything until his lawyer got there. Hmm. And this is by the 26th. So, we're only six days after Sabrina's body has been discovered that he is lawyering up. And it was then that Fred kind of clammed up and he wouldn't speak. So he's like, I'm not going to speak without a lawyer, which I'm not going to say is a sign of guilt in and of itself. It's actually a good move to hire a lawyer. But you'd think, as an officer, he would have known to do that from the beginning. Or he would have been like, you know what, I don't need one. Yeah. But at this point, Fred was actually suspended from the police department Because even though he initially agreed to take a polygraph, he was now refusing to take one. Hmm. So law enforcement still obviously needed something to either prove Fred's guilt or his innocence. And they're like, we have to find this gun. Because they have the slugs from a gun that were in Sabrina's body. Right. Right. And with ballistics, you can check. So they were actually able to find out that Fred often went to his father's farm the same one where the horse was kept mm. to go target shooting. Mm. So they go up to Fred's dad's farm and Fred's dad was like, "Yeah, we've both shot Fred's 38 caliber here, you know, along with some other guns." And he says, "You know, you officers are welcome to search." And he takes them to the place where they would target shoot, but what officers recovered though were only shells from a 22 caliber. And a nine millimeter, so they don't find anything from the thirty-eight caliber llama.
1: So we don't think that they actually shot the thirty-eight there,
0: either. That or somebody picked up those shells or something. Hmm. Later, a tuft of Sabrina's hair was found near the drain pipe as well. And on April twenty-fourth, and we still don't know who sent this but mailed to Sheriff O'Neill of the Belleville Police Department was a note reading, quote, her stepfather killed Miss Kane, that D-A-M, so it was misspelled, policeman, end quote.
1: So mm. the only person
0: who clues seemed to be pointing to this whole time was Fred Roark. But despite, oh. I know, Despite not having any concrete link to Fred and mostly what would be in a court of law circumstantial evidence, Fred Roark did go on trial for the murder of his stepdaughter Sabrina Kane. That's kind of surprises me though, yeah, I know because you know, with the gun missing, they can't match ballistics mm-hmm. and You know, Fred did often take Sabrina water skiing, and Sabrina's body was tied with ski rope. But is that enough? Right. And I also read, and I brought this up to Kimberly, it mentioned in one of the reports that the knots that were tied in the rope, like to the concrete block and then to Sabrina's body, were both half hitch knots, which are like regular knots, like you and I might tie. Mm -hmm. But then there was also a square knot. And I asked Rodney about it because on the fire department, they have to know how to tie like all these different types of knots. Mm -hmm. And he said, without knowing anything about the case, that if it were a true square knot, then that kind of knot is a two-step process where you have to go like right over left and then left over right. and. In his opinion, it would have been tied by somebody who'd been around rope, like somebody who knew or was around boats because you use it to tie two ropes together. Hmm. So he said that, like, without even knowing anything about the case that, you know, he would think it would be somebody who'd been around boats, for example. And I don't know about you, Maggie, but I've never tied a knot that required two steps. I didn't even know there was a thing. That was such a thing. So, yeah. And as for boats, again, Fred had a boat. But unfortunately, that connection and then linking him to a crime is only circumstantial. But the trial was held. It was actually held in a county that was a nearby county because Fred's lawyer felt like Fred wouldn't get a fair trial in Belleville due to all the rumors. Hey, I can agree with that, though. Right. And the prosecution, though, even had a witness, a man named Donald Martindale, Who said that as an assistant manager at IHOP, he had overheard Fred tell others, quote, I didn't mean to kill her. I didn't mean to get her pregnant, (gasps) end quote. Mm -hmm.
1: Which explains
0: why he freaked out and said, are you trying to say she's pregnant or whatever he said? Right. Yeah. So in my mind, what Donald Martindale said, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this ties everything together Uh right here's the problem the managers at ihop said that contrary to what donald martindale testified they had actually fired him the day before he supposedly overheard fred having this conversation but he could have got the days wrong he could have and i agree with you But the defense lawyer, so Fred's lawyer, also pointed out that Martindale had never been an assistant manager, like he claimed to be in his testimony, that he was just a busboy. And then Fred's attorney said, isn't it true that Fred Roark's partner actually arrested you just a few days before you conveniently overheard this conversation for a curfew violation? Okay, so now he's lost all credibility. Right. So all of those things made Martindale, in the eyes of those in the court, to be a liar, at least somebody who stretched the truth, which then called into question every single one of his other statements. Right. Now, I will say, and I said this to Kimberly, in the trial, Martindale actually was very forthcoming about his run-ins with the law. Like, they asked him about you know, getting into trouble with Fred or Fred's partner. And Mm -hmm. he actually admitted that he had indeed twice been arrested by Fred and his partner. So, like, he's forthcoming about it and, like, admitting it. You know what I mean? Like, he's not trying to hide it. And he basically said in court, you know, I'm not angry with them. They were just doing their job. And so it's hard for me because... Again, he's not trying to hide the fact that he had been in trouble. But then, on the other hand, the managers are like, well, he's stretching the truth about all these other things. What else could he be lying about? And then the IHOP managers, the ones who were like, "Mm, he's never been an assistant manager. They said on the stand that they didn't even know who Fred was. Hmm. According to my interview with Kimberly, She, though, has it on good authority from several people who she's spoken with that the Belleville officers actually frequented the the IHOP all of the time and that those managers would have been acquainted with all of the officers.
1: So it seems like maybe they're trying
0: to kind of protect them a little bit. Right. But like none of that was brought up in trial. The postcard was anonymous, so they couldn't question the author of it. What people thought of Fred and Sabrina's relationship were just rumors. There was no gun or casings to compare. And now Donald Martindale's testimony is in question. Despite the fact that both he and the reporting officer noted Fred's odd preoccupation with Sabrina potentially being pregnant. She wasn't by the way. That was what I was getting ready. Yeah. The autopsy showed that, but like everybody knows he had this, odd preoccupation with it and there are all of these further questions that we wish they would have asked or Mm. probed into but they didn't and in the end Fred was found innocent and sadly whether you agree with that verdict or not that was the decision of the court but justice was not served on that day Maggie because since that day despite the fact that sabrina's case has not been officially closed right it's still considered an open investigation police stopped their investigation into her case and what angers me about this maggie is that even if fred didn't do it somebody did right so why are we no longer looking yeah and police just stopped searching they're like well somebody's been tried but mm. all the time, Kimberly receives calls from those who lived in Belleville at the time saying that they that everyone knows who did it. And they say, quote, he did it. And I think we know who they're implying. So what are your thoughts, Maggie?
1: <sighs> okay, well, I can't really blame the jury for saying that Fred was innocent because like you said a lot of the evidence was circumstantial Mm -hmm. even though we may feel people may feel strongly otherwise like I feel like Mm -hmm. the justice system followed what it's supposed to there Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm like you if her case is still open and Fred didn't do it someone did so we should still be trying to figure out who someone is right I do think that, like a lot of our other cases, it's hard to be in a small town where people are going to start rumors or believe rumors. And it's hard, even if Fred Fred were innocent, for him to overcome those rumors, you know? Uh Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that he is innocent and I'm not saying he's guilty because I don't know. Right.
0: Part of me just wishes that they had waited longer to go to to trial, Mm -hmm. like had more concrete evidence. And I feel like, sadly, at this point, the only way we'll ever know anything for sure is to locate and test Fred's gun. And it has yet to be found. Sadly... Kimberly acknowledged that so much time has passed, and given the outcome of the trial, it's unlikely that justice will be served in her sister's case, at least as the law goes. Lorraine and Fred have both since passed away, carrying any knowledge they have to the grave. But those who are left behind, like Kimberly, have to pick through the lingering memories of those who do know something, and she shouldn't have to suffer. In Kimberly's words from her Facebook page, quote, I will never give up your fight. I will not back away because it makes people uncomfortable. I will not give up ever. You will always be my sister, whether alive or not. And I will do whatever I can until the day I join you to bring you the justice you so deserve, end quote. You see, Kimberly is forced to rely on the kindness of strangers to learn about who her sister Sabrina was and to connect with her. Despite not having closure in the court of law, at least Kimberly can be reminded that people care. Stories here, yearbook messages there. But Sabrina Kane does not deserve for her name to be forgotten within the dusty covers of a yearbook to be stored away in the recesses. Instead, she deserves to have her story told. She deserves for us to take another look. She deserves to have her name remembered. And Kimberly deserves to know that she's not alone. Sabrina's case will never be closed nor overlooked as long as we vow sleuthhounds to never let that happen again. I encourage all of you to show Kimberly your support and that we are right here fighting alongside her, as I have, by joining the Facebook group, hashtag justice for Sabrina.
1: Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at CoffeeCasesPodcast Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Or you can always email us suggestions to podcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll see see you next week. week.